you know, it's one thing to have a revival meeting and talk about personal revival and to do things during that meeting, but the greater thing is to help it to continue on and even grow and even get bigger than what it is here. And so that's the, that should be the goal for each of us. And um, I was thinking about how I could tie together all that we've done thus far uh, this week. I mean, we've been here Sunday, Sunday, Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday evening, that's three services. And then Monday and Tuesday, that makes five, and this will be number six. And I was thinking, how can we tie it together and just encourage you in that light? And again, really, I mean, the Word of God, uh, getting out the gospel of Christ with gospel tracts. You know, we when we first named the ministry, it was more precious than gold ministries, which was concerning the Word of God. But as I look at these and I look at others that the Lord's going to, will help us with, it all deals with personal revival. It deals with personal revival. And uh, let me just see your thoughts on this, see if you can help me with my title of the message this evening. Uh, Personal revival equals just one word. Personal revival equals growth. Okay, good. Joy. Anyone else want to? Again, no, no wrong answer. I did put something down here, but maybe what you give me, maybe I'll scratch that out and change it. You know, after I'm through preaching, because this is a new message this evening that we have. Anyone else? Personal revival equals service. 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 You saw me write this down, didn't you, Regina? Oh, you didn't? Oh, I... Oh, okay. All right. Okay, I'm accusing her falsely. That's not good. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, if, you know, if I was... As I was thinking about it, you know, Christ-likeness equals personal revival or personal revival equals Christ-likeness. The more we become Jesus, like the Lord Jesus Christ, and isn't that the goal in every area of our life? I mean, you can't go wrong if you're getting more and more like Christ, regardless of what the area is. And that ought to be our goal. And that's why personal revival isn't something that you say, oh, I'm going to get it this week and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to have it. I'm going to, you know, I'll just, uh, you know, that'll be enough for me and I'll keep it and I won't have to worry about it after that. No, it's a daily thing. Until the Lord Jesus takes you home or until you uh, take your last breath. You know, it's a daily thing or until Christ comes back. You know, it's a daily thing. That ought to be uh, our heartbeat. It ought to be... Um, you know, that something that we desire, something that we uh, want for our lives. And so I want to take a look at uh, that thought this evening. Christ-likeness equals personal revival, or again, personal revival equals Christ-likeness. Father, we pray that you would help us this evening. May the Word of God be real to us. Lord, as we look at our Savior and we see His life, Lord, His love, His uh, work, Lord, his passion, Lord, that it would be a challenge to us this evening to see 
Lord, taking a look at closely at our Lord and Savior and that we would be more and more like Him. And Lord, even as Enoch, for 300 years after he begat Methuselah, walked with God, Lord, that we might be found walking, seeking, Lord, just desiring, uh, Lord, Thee, and to be more like You. Lord, grant us help and strength this evening. Lord, I don't want to assume if there be one here without Christ the Savior tonight. I pray that tonight would be that night of salvation. Help your people, though, to understand that once they're saved, it's the end and takes care of our home in heaven. But, Lord God, you have great and wonderful things for us in our steps that we take to become more like thee. Lord, you have a purpose for us. You have a plan for us. You have work for us. Lord, use us, I pray, and help us. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. I'd like you to take your Bibles, Matthew chapter 4 this evening. Matthew chapter number 4. Matthew chapter number 4, and I want to begin reading in verse number 1. And I've got five five specific areas that you and I can be like our Savior Jesus Christ, that we can experience personal revival and to become uh, just more like Him. And again, it's not, you know, it's not something where you, you know, get knocked in the head and you fall down on the floor, you know, and, you know, hey, I'm revived. No, it's a daily walk. It's, it's our mind, our heart, our life, our actions, our uh, interaction with others, our communication with our Heavenly Father. I mean, it's all those things and more. But look with me in Matthew chapter 4, verse number 1. The Bible says, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone." Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And saith unto him, All these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan. For it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. You know, as we read about this account, this is just, if you read chapter 3, John the Baptist uh, baptized our Savior, the Lord Jesus. John understood who Christ was, and he says, uh, no, I, I don't think so, Lord. I have need to be baptized of thee. And Jesus says, no, he says, suffer it to be so, 
to fulfill all righteousness. And, and so he, so he, uh, was baptized and immediately after that, the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. And, you know, it talks here about uh, 40 days and 40 nights. And we know that this was a time of prayer for our Savior. A time of prayer. You know, uh, you look through the prayer life of our Savior uh, in Matthew 14, 22 through 25. We see that Christ prays through the night. He goes out and he prays into and through the night. Uh, he prays a prayer in the Garden of, of Gethsemane in Matthew 26, right before he's going to go to the cross of Calvary. In Mark 1.35, the Bible says very early in the morning, he rose up to pray. Luke 5.16, it says, uh, talks about him praying in the wilderness in the mountain. In Luke 6.12, he was all night in prayer to the Heavenly Father. In Luke chapter 9 and verses 28 and 29, it talks about Christ praying in the mountain with Peter, James, and John. This is at the transfiguration when he was transfigured before them. Uh, in Luke 22, 31 and 32, Jesus praying for Peter. Remember that? Uh, he, he said, no, Lord, you're not gonna, we're not gonna let this happen to you. And Jesus says, get thee hence, Satan. Thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. And he says, Peter, I prayed for you. I prayed for you that your faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And so we see that, that Christ praying for... And you know, the wonderful thing is, is that Jesus is interceding for you and I. He's praying for us. You know, if you ever get to the point, you think, hey... You know, does anyone care? Is anyone praying uh, for me? The Lord's praying for you. He's interceding in your behalf to the Heavenly Father. And what a wonderful thing that is to be able to know that Christ is upholding us in prayer. Uh, in Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4, Christ was praying there. And you know what the question the disciples asked? Yeah, Lord. I mean, I don't know. I mean, you know, I mean, uh, Joshua, did they have to teach you how to mend upholstery? I mean, probably the expert taught you, you know, your wife probably taught you, uh, maybe, but, no, uh, I mean, if you're, if you're going to a place, usually, you know, a craft or, uh, something of that nature, uh, you have somebody to teach you that. You don't usually hear folks say, oh, uh, could you teach me how to pray? Has anybody ever asked you that? Could you teach me how to pray? I mean, here the disciples, they heard the Lord Jesus pray, and they must have, I mean, I don't know if they were blown away. I don't know, you know, what it was, just how Christ, and maybe his fervency, maybe just his um, insight into the spiritual things and not more than just, Lord, uh, bless this food and Lord, bless my family and Lord, take care of us as we travel. And those are all fine prayers, nothing wrong with that. But I think the intimacy as well as the depthness of Christ's prayers must have spoke to them. And they came to him and says, Lord, would you teach us to pray? Would you teach us to pray? 
And God help us to be as our Savior was, uh, that uh, that uh, praying and seeking. I think of John 17, it's really the whole chapter, verses 1 through 26, is known as Christ's high priestly prayer. That whole chapter, the Lord Jesus praying. You know, Jesus prays even on the cross of Calvary, on the cross there. You know, he looks out and he, he, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I mean, he's, he's praying here on the cross and threw, offered three prayers up on the cross of Calvary. So if we're going to be like Jesus Christ, we're going to have to be those who are praying, those who are prayer warriors, those who are you know, I, I, as, as I was studying this today earlier, you know, I was thinking, man, all night in prayer. All night in prayer. <laughs> forty days, forty nights here, fasting and, and no doubt praying and seeking the Heavenly Father and His hand and His blessing. You know, I, I thought, you know, I had set some times aside today and, and I've, I remember a couple of years ago, I'd, I'd, what I'd do is sometimes, you know, I don't know about you, you're probably more spiritual than I am, but, you know, I, I'll get to praying and my mind starts wondering, I'll think of something else, you know, I think, Lord, forgive me. You know, I'll get to praying and all of a sudden a thought pops up, what am I going to do later that day maybe? But man, come on. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I thought, well, you know, a lot of stuff to do, no doubt. Nevertheless, you can't do anything more important than seeking the Lord in prayer. I mean, that's a priority. You know, I said, uh, it was just interesting. I took my phone out and I thought, well, I'm going to set a timer on this. And, you know, I thought, well, I'll set 15 minutes. I put 15 minutes on there. And that was noonish or so. And so I was praying. And, you know, would to God it would have been 30 minutes or an hour or two hours. But I thought, well, let's do 15 minutes. And so I was praying along and all of a sudden I, you know, was praying for things and time went by fairly quickly. And I hit the timer when it went off and prayed for maybe three or four more minutes. And I thought, Lord, a whole night in prayer. Help me, Lord, teach me. You know, use me. Help me to be those who will seek you. And be diligent in this matter of prayer. You know, the Lord, He, um, you know how to, you know how to supercharge your prayer life? I mean, and, and I'm gonna, there's things I'm working on along this line, but you don't hear a whole lot about this really. I don't know if I've ever, I look back in some of my sermons I preach, I mean, I've got some, my very first sermon I preached, I have that outline at home. And I keep a lot of them, most of them really. I have a tote of them. And I looked in there and I saw one message that I preached, and I'm not even sure how long ago it was. It might have been 15, 20, 25 years ago. But look with me, if you would, in um, Matthew 17. Matthew 17. I don't like using the word steroids on some things, you know, but steroids, I think, you know, you're just, man, really ump at it, you know. 
baseball players and sports people have done that and taken them have gotten trouble using those. But I don't know if we could say, if we can put our prayer life on steroids. I don't know if that's a good analogy there. But, you know, just to up our prayer life and make it more powerful, make it more direct, make it more fervent. Look with me in um, Matthew 17. And this uh, starts off with the transfiguration. Christ is transfigured before the disciples. If you remember in verse 1, he took Peter, James, and John up on the mountain here. And so um, he was transfigured and he... Um, oh, uh, Jesus is teaching him here some. And then uh, getting down to verse 14, they come down off the mountain... And it says, and when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and sore vexed, for oft times he falleth into the fire and off into the water. And I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, How long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him. The child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could not we cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, If ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed... You shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. So it talks here about faith. You know, faith is the opposite of unbelief. But look at verse 21. He says this, How be it, this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. And, you know, I think if, as we as God's people, you know, the Lord Jesus spent 40 days and 40 nights fasting and seeking the Heavenly Father. You know, Paul says he fasted often. You know, the Lord Jesus, uh, when, when folks, uh, the disciples of John and the disciples of the Pharisees came to the Lord and said this, they said, How come the disciples of John fast and of the Pharisees, but why don't your disciples fast? And he says, well, they have the bridegroom with them right now, talking about himself. But he said there will come a time, he says, when they fast. He didn't say if they would, he says when. And as God's people, uh, you know, it's... um, I mean, there's numerous passages. I've actually written them all down and going through the study of them at this point. But uh, there's uh, numerous passages on fasting and prayer, coupling those together. It, uh, you know, fasting, when you let, it, let go of the food and the, uh, the things of this world, if you would, the, uh, the food that you eat, and basically that's the definition of it. You know, that uh, fasting is to not eat. And you set that meal or that two meal or whatever it is that you set aside and you take that time for prayer and you spend time with the Lord and your body gets weakened but your spirit gets stronger. 
I mean, it's, it's like supercharging your prayer life. And again, that's, um, I think something that is so important in personal revival as well as in if God's going to bring a, multi, a, a wide revival in a great way. I think it's going to be in a great way because people are serious about seeking God. Not only in prayer, but prayer and fasting. And the seeking the Lord that way. So, uh, so yeah, just um, think about that. And, um, you know, again, you can, you can set one meal aside. You can set two or three or whatever. I mean, there's numerous uh, spans, but I don't think it's something that we say, well, so-and-so brother's doing it this way, so I'm going to do it that way. No, you, you pray and you seek God. And you let Him guide you into what He might have you to do. And seek Him in a diligent way. So to be, uh, to be personally revived like our Savior Jesus Christ there's has to be the prayer life of our Savior is to be emulated. So we're to we're to be people of prayer and seeking God Almighty in prayer. So think of it, you know, you as we're through with this, think of practical ways that you can apply this. In other words, you know, maybe it's getting up fifteen minutes to half an hour earlier in the morning before you have to leave for work or go somewhere, maybe it's doing that and saying, Lord, I'm going to spend time in prayer during that time. I'm going to seek you during that time. You know, maybe it's another time is best for you, but maybe it's set in a definite time. You know, Daniel, he prayed three times a day, morning, noon, and evening. You say, well, I need to pray three times a day. Well, we need to be in constant prayer, but that certainly wouldn't be a bad model to do. But let the Lord guide you. You're not Daniel. You're who you are, and God will guide you and lead you in that way. So, so uh, be a uh, man, a woman, a Christian uh, of prayer, and uh, just let God use you in that way. And then notice, as we look at Matthew chapter 4 again, I think the next thing that, if we're going to be personally revived and be like our Savior Christ, is found in starting in verse number four, it says, but he answered and said, what are the next three words? It is written. Look at verse seven. Jesus said unto him, it is written. Look at verse 10. Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written. What does that mean, it is written? The Word of God. Yeah, it is written. They didn't have the New Testament yet. I mean, Christ was giving them all the material that they would need for the Gospels, and then God would give the rest of it to the apostles and others. But he said, it is written. Here's God Almighty, yet all man, but yet all God. But God Almighty, and what is he doing? He's quoting the Word of God. He's quoting the Word of God. I just typed in on the strong concordance I typed in it is written and I looked in the um in the gospels uh and Christ said and there were other times sometimes the pharisees or some other group would say hey it it is written but I bypassed those and skipped those 
But Jesus said it is written at least 18 times. Christ spoke and said it is written. Those are the only, uh, just the ones that are recorded. You know, the Bible tells us at the end of John that if all the things that could be or should be written about the Lord Jesus Christ were written, I uh, surmise that the world couldn't contain the books. So how many times Christ would... I mean, he preached the word of God. He gave him the word, and then he certainly gave him new revelation on things as well, being God Almighty. But he said, it is written. It is written. So the word of God, the word of God must be preeminent as it was preeminent in the life of our Savior. It must be preeminent in our lives. The word of God. You know, Christ uh, taught the... The apostles, look with me, hold your place there in Matthew 4, but turn over to um, Luke 24, if you would. Luke 24. And again, as we, these tools that we have, the Bible Transformation Explosion Program, that's a tool to help us to make the Word of God preeminent in our hearts, minds, and lives. Luke 24, look at verse number 25. Um, It says, uh, Then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And this was, uh, if you look previous verses, it was on the road to Emmaus. After Christ was resurrected, there were two that were going on the road to Emmaus. Jesus met up with them. They didn't know it was Jesus, but he begins to talk to them. And he begins to teach them. It says in verse 26, Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Look here, verse 27, And beginning at Moses... Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, five books of Moses. And all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The word of God was a priority in the life and the ministry and the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. Although, again, he's God Almighty. I mean, you'd think, hey, he's God, he, you know... He he wrote it. I mean, he's given it. Maybe he wouldn't have to quote it, but he did. He did. And certainly as an example to us, but I think that the Lord Jesus, being God Almighty, understood that the Word of God was powerful and that it would work on the hearts of men. So he gave him the Word. Look um, on further in Luke 24. This was... um, The two to Emmaus, they come running back when Jesus vanished in the midst of them. And they come running back and they're, these folks are in a room here. Jesus comes to them and you can read it, but we're going to jump down to verse 44. It says, and he said unto them, these are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Jesus made the word of God a priority in his life. I mean, he made it a priority to give out the word of God. And if we're going to be like Jesus Christ, if we're going to be personally revived, you know, it's going to have to be more, you know, just than um, 
you know, Fox News or, you know, our talk show host, you know, that's on the radio. It's going to have to be more than just, you know, um, our fantasy football team. I don't know. You guys, I won't ask. Uh, my sons do some of that. They like fantasy football. You know, I, I tell them, I said, well, I said, you know, two things. Number one. Uh, if, if I was to do fantasy football, I don't like going to halfway on something. So I'd probably be studying these guys out and I'd spend way too much time. I mean, for me, 10 seconds would be too much time on it. And then secondly, I wouldn't want to beat you either. So, uh, you know, um, so anyways, I, uh, you know, but, but the word of God must be preeminent. You know, what are, sometimes we say, I just don't have enough time. You know, I'm speaking to myself now. You know, I see the things maybe I spend time with. I I can't honestly say, Lord, I don't have enough time. I need to say, Lord, forgive me, help me, help me to, to take these frivolous things, set them aside, and spend time in your word. To be more like you. To be personally revived. The Word of God has to be paramount in our hearts, minds, and lives. To meditate, you know, Psalm 1 says this, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. The promise, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. I mean, the word of God must be paramount in our hearts and lives. So again, you know, we can we can say, yeah, I know that, Brother Stover. Uh, preach it, you know, shout it louder. But, you know, the key is, how are we going to get it in there? We have to think that through. It's going to take some thought. You know, if you go home tonight... You'll have to think this through on your own or as you're traveling home, as you get home. Say, how can I make the word of God more prevalent in my heart and my life, more preeminent? What can I do? And, you know, I I commend you tonight. Uh, Some of you have been here Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday morning service, Sunday evening service, Monday, Tuesday, and um, six fingers, uh, Wednesday. And I understand some folks are sick and they, or they would have been here. But praise God for your faithfulness. And you're, you're seeking, you're, you're getting the word of God. You're letting it find a lodging place within. What a wonderful thing that is. So God help us to, again, to be personally revived, to be like our Savior. Prayer must be a big part of our life. God's word must be preeminent as it was in the life of Jesus Christ. And then... Look with me in uh, Luke chapter 14. Hold your place there. Well, I'm not sure if I'll get back to Matthew 4, but uh, you can find it if you need to. But go to Luke 14. Luke 14. I'm sorry. Uh, let's see. Luke. Um, yeah, let's see. Let me try this one. I said Luke 14, didn't I? Well, let's see. Oh, I meant Luke chapter 4. You know, that's 
like I told the kids when I taught math at the Christian school, I'd be on the board and I'd be working away, you know, and trying to do it really quick, you know. And some of the kids, Mr. Stover, is is that right? Um, wow. That's the second mistake I've ever made in my life. There's one there, and the other one was when I thought I made a mistake. <laughs> but uh, this is the third one now, all right? Uh, not Luke 14, Luke chapter 4. Or, yeah, Luke uh, chapter 4 is what we want. But this is the same account as when uh, Jesus, uh, well, in verse 1 it says, And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So this when he was tempted 40 days and 40 nights. We just read that in Matthew chapter 4. So look, uh, it's maybe a little clear in here. Uh, in verse 1 it says that he uh, was full of the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God, and he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So he's being led by the Holy Spirit. The thought here is this, and we'll look at another at the end of this, but we must be Holy Spirit controlled if we're going to be personally revived and like our Savior, Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit has to control us. Jesus was led of the Spirit here. Notice, uh, I mean, I read the account in Matthew 4, and it's basically, basically the same. And notice in verse 13, it says, And when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. Verse 14 says this, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame of him through all the region round about, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. You know, that, and again, God speaks to my heart, not only now, but he speaks to me, when I get up to preach, before I get up to preach, I say, Lord, if the Spirit of God is not with me, we might as well just go home. I might as well quit. I might as well, you know, just just fold things up and, and leave. And, you know, you always, you know, are praying that the Spirit of God would guide you. And, and you know, sometimes, it's, and again, it's not a feeling necessarily. I mean, sometimes... I don't know about you, Pastor Jameson, but sometimes you just, you know, you feel like, man, you know, I just had the power today and, you know, the Word of God went forth and, you know, Pastor Cusick probably understands that. That sometimes you, you, you leave and you think, man, you know, what, what happened there? <laughs> you know, you know, I feel like I lost something there, you know. Yeah, and that's the way you feel. You know, sometimes though, and again, I say you can't really feel it in a sense. Sometimes people will respond more and they'll, you'll hear more comments when you think, man, I, I messed up or I didn't do it right or something like that. You hear more people say, wow, you know, you know, so it's just this. It's just, Lord God, I need your Holy Spirit to help me. Lord, I need your spirit to empower me. I need the word of God to go forth by the power of the Holy Spirit. And here we see that when Christ returned, it says, after he left the 40 days, 40 nights in the wilderness, the angels came and ministered unto him. And he went and he really started then his earthly ministry. And it says he went, returned in the power of the spirit into Galilee. I mean, 
No wonder people would come to him and flock to him and they would say, never man spake like this. Didn't we send you to take him and bring him? Oh, never man spake like this, man. Man, I've never heard preaching like this. I've never heard this. And just the power of the Holy Spirit using them. And as believers, as believers, we must walk in the Spirit. The Bible says, walk in the Spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You know, it's hard to go two directions at the same time, isn't it? I mean, you, you, you're going to go this way, you're going to go either right, this is my right, and you're going to go left. One of the two, you can't go, you know, both ways. And if we're filled with the Holy Spirit, you know what's going to happen? Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is, if you know Him, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. You know, if you want to see somebody filled with the Spirit of God, and certainly there's other um, signs of it, uh, and I'm not talking about you know apostolic signs or anything. It's just maybe you can see a person led by the Spirit, by their prayer life, or maybe by their desire for the Word of God. But if you see those those fruit, love, you see somebody love, man, that, that has to come from the Spirit of God to really show Christ-like love. You know, when Christ was on the cross, I mean, he looked over at the thief and he says, this day thou shalt be with me in paradise. That's love. That's love. And again, if you look there, in one gospel it says they were both chiding the Lord Jesus. Yeah, if you're the Son of God, get down and off the cross and help us too. But one man came to himself, it said. The Spirit of God must have been working in his heart, whether looking at Christ, whether whatever the situation was there, whether he had heard something beforehand, whether he had, I don't know. But he came to himself and he said, Lord, remember, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. He said, Lord. You know, that just that first word just you know, transforms the whole, you know, it's not a flippant thing. Yeah, remember me when you come in your kingdom. No, Lord, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And God help us to, to uh, allow the Holy Spirit of God to guide and direct us and help us. So we see that, that to be personally revived and be Christ-like, prayer must be a priority of our heart and our life. God's word must be preeminent in our life as it was in Christ. We must be Holy Spirit controlled even as our Savior, the Lord Jesus, was here. And then turn with me to John chapter 4 if you would. I've got two more that I want to go over uh, quickly here. John chapter 4. How are we going to be personally revived and more like the Lord Jesus? This is the account here of, uh, in John chapter number 4, Jesus uh, said in verse 4, he says, And I must needs go through Samaria. And that was a rough way to go. You know, if he would have taken more of the coast, he could have had, you know, just smoother land, easier travel. But to go through Samaria, you're going through mountains, and it's certainly harder. No doubt that was, well, I don't know what time they started off, but it was about noontime, and 
and Jesus was wearied with his journey, and they hadn't eaten apparently much or if anything, and he sat on the well there by the well of Jacob, Jacob's well. The disciples went into town to get um, get him some, um, uh, you know, maybe you know, pepperoni pizza, you know, probably added some, you know, he liked fish, maybe anchovies, you know, like you all like, and, uh, you know, just uh, to enjoy that good meal. But they went into town, maybe they went to Wendy's and got some uh, number one meals or something. But uh, Jesus uh, said, I must needs go through Samaria. He talks with the woman at the well, she gets saved. And she runs into town, starts telling people about what uh, Christ did for her and that we, I've met the Christ. Look at verse 31. Verse 31, it says, in the meanwhile, in the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him. They, uh, then they went out of the city. Well, and, um, yeah, in verse 31, in the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him saying, Master, eat. Apparently they had come back with the food. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. I have meat to eat that ye know not of. You know, they probably thought, oh, I know. The Chick-fil-A truck came your way and they gave you some free chicken sandwiches, huh? I have meat that you know not of. And they're sort of scratching their heads. Well, wonder who gave them something to eat, you know? It says, uh, therefore, in verse 33, Therefore it said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? Look at this. Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. That was the meat of Jesus Christ. That's what, I mean, what motivated him, what moved him. Uh, and then he goes on to say, Say ye not there yet four months, and then comest harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. You know, they were going through Samaria, people that the Jews didn't even care for. The Samaritans didn't care for the Jews. The disciples are probably thinking, Nobody here is going to get saved. Let's keep moving forward here. Let's get out of here. And Jesus says, the fields are white unto harvest. I just led a woman to Christ. And guys, in just a little bit, there's going to be people coming out of that city by the scores, wanting to know more about salvation. So the thought on number four is this. Make God's work and will, God's work and God's will, your everyday meat. Make God's work and God's will your everyday meat. You know, the Lord Jesus, when he, when he prayed in John 17, in verse 4, he says, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. I mean, is, is food more important to you than doing the work of God? You know, I remember reading uh, when Queen Elizabeth, she... Um, when it was been a year or so ago when she passed away and um, in her 90s, I believe. And they interviewed her chef and the one who would make her food and prepare that for her. And, 
And he said a number of things, but one thing I remember he said was this. He says, uh, Queen Elizabeth, she didn't live to eat. She ate to live. And what he meant by that was, he says, she didn't eat extravagant. She would eat strawberries out of the garden. She loved to have fresh strawberries. You know, Buckingham Palace there must have gardens. She she just ate basic stuff. She liked her toast with her marmalade or jam or whatever on it. I mean, she could have anything she wanted. But she didn't live to eat. That wasn't her consumption. It was she just ate so that she could live. And you know, for us, it ought to be that our meat, if we're going to be like our Savior, again, this isn't... Um, you know, if you're, this isn't kindergarten class. This isn't even class 101 at college. This is getting up there to masters and doctorate and whatever. This is, this is, if you can get this, you're moving up. And again, I'm, I'm, I need God's help. I take maybe a half a step and I want to take more. So I'm not setting myself up as the example here, but I'm just saying that we, we must make our meat, the meat that Jesus had, the meat of the, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work, to do the will of him, God's, make God's work and God's will your everyday meat. And so number four, number three, we said the Holy Spirit controlled. Number two, God's word preeminent in our life. Number one, prayer. Uh, must be a priority. And then number five is this, is reaching others for Christ. Reaching others for Christ. In Luke 19.10, after Jesus had won Nick, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Zacchaeus to himself, he says, for the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Luke 19.10. And then again in Matthew 18 and, uh, yeah, um, 18, um, yeah, you probably have to look it up, but, um, I don't have it right at hand, but, uh, he said this, he said this, he said basically the same thing, that I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's what Christ came for. You know, if you remember the disciples, uh, Christ was going to Jerusalem and it said that he set his, set himself as a flint going to Jerusalem. I mean, nothing was going to stop him. He was going there to give himself as a sacrifice. Praise God for my sins and your sins. And he came to this city and, uh, he says, well, uh, Lord, maybe they'll let us and we'll stay overnight here. And they wouldn't let him come, wouldn't let Christ in the city. And the uh, James and John, the sons of thunder, Lord, should we call down fire like Elijah and burn these people up? Jesus says, you know not manner of men that ye are. For the Son of Man, I've come to save life, not destroy life. He came to seek the salvation of folks, not to, not to, 
take their lives. I mean, Christ could have been God Almighty. I mean, anyone who would have come to him, he could have said, zap, zap, zap. And they, we would have all got what we deserve. If you and I would have been there, we could have got what we deserve. But he didn't do that. The um, religious crowd brings the woman taken in adultery and Jesus stoops down and Hey, Christ, what do you think about this woman? What are we going to do with her? The law says she should be stoned. The Bible doesn't say how long he wrote or what he wrote. You know, maybe he wrote something like, and again, the Bible doesn't say, so don't go away saying that this is what he wrote. But, you know, in Matthew 7, uh, in, or in the Beatitudes, the Lord says, Whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her, Already in his heart. I don't know. Maybe he wrote that. But I know one thing that when he stood up and he says, he that is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And the Bible says that from the eldest, the oldest one started to depart and they just left. And the younger guy started to leave. And Jesus looked around and she, she was there and the Lord and he, and he says, where are thine accusers? She said, no man, Lord. Go thou and sin no more. He's saying, live a righteous life. Walk with me. Know me. I'm, 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 I can save you and give you eternal life. I mean, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. That was his, that was why he came. I mean, you know, it was just, you, you read him. Nicodemus in John chapter 3, the woman at the well in John chapter 4, the woman taken in adultery. I mean, just on and on throughout the Word of God. So if we're going to be like Jesus Christ, you know what? We're going to have to ask the Lord to give us compassion. He had compassion for the multitudes. He had compassion for the individuals. He's preaching to 5,000 men plus, plus women and children. He's going to a well where there's only one woman out there and seeking after her. God help me. God help me. Personal revival. Personal revival. We're gonna, we're gonna need to make prayer a priority in our heart, mind, and life. We need to make the Word of God preeminent in our life. And again, this is, Nice little outline. If you wrote something down, that's fine. If you want to teach it or preach it, you do it. You know, if I come and preach it again, they'll say, hey, you took so-and-so's outline, and that's fine. <laughs> but but the fact is, is it's, it's going to have to be more than an outline if it's going to make a difference in our life. We're going to have to look at it, look at each one of those and say, how can I make prayer a greater priority in my life? Lord, how can I make the Word of God more preeminent. Holy Spirit of God, I want to yield to you. I want you to guide me. And maybe it's going to be spending time in prayer, memorizing some verses about, you know, the walk in the Spirit, not fulfill the lust of the flesh, and something that will give you encouragement and strength in that way. Say, I want to make God's work and His will my everyday meet. And then reaching others for Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads if we would please.